have the privilege today, uh, I was t- supposed to be in London, but really it's not even the fact that I was supposed to be in London today. At the beginning of the year, we just purposed in our hearts that we have such an incredible ministry team here of, of, of people who release great revelation. And uh, I happen to have some children that, praise the Lord, they, they bless my life by, inc- by increasing my prayer life. And then my seed produced a harvest. I just want to say this very, very seriously. When Kathy and I were praying about coming to Oklahoma City, one of the things we knew is that one of the reasons God sent us to Oklahoma City was that our children's future was tied to our decision. And that's the reason the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to make this decision not with you in mind, but with your children in mind. I mean, you know, every decision that a parent makes, it affects their children. Sometimes for the negative, sometimes for the positive. But when I made the decision, when we made the decision to come here, I recognized that God was releasing a grace and an anointing that had not had a place of expression. And over the last few years, to see uh, Amanda and Jason have served us, like all of our kids, they've served us here the whole time we've been here. And I'm privileged today that my daughters all serve in ministry, my son-in-laws serve in ministry. But over the last few years, God's just opened the world up to Amanda. I stood last year in Italy. Her and I did a conference together in Italy for the nation, national conference. And I sat and listened to her preach, and I went, she's my daughter, but I didn't know she was that smart. I didn't know that stuff was in her to that degree because God has downloaded things in her life that I'm very, very grateful for. And, you know, there's a lot of honor for Kathy and I in this house, a lot of honor for this team. If we were to have a guest today, we don't do this all the time for our staff, but I just think it's important for us to celebrate the people that God has blessed us with. So I just believe, would you join me today? I want to honor my my oldest daughter, my eldest daughter, maybe I should say it that way, because of the grace of God that's on her life. Let's receive Pastor Amanda as she comes. Amen. Wow. Well, I think that 20 bucks I gave to dad before church paid off. You can be seated. I love, I love my parents. They are a blessing. Uh, we have, you know, a lot of people don't know all of our story. We probably should put that out more often of how all of that works. But I need to take these off because these are reading glasses. I can't see y'all when I got them on. Um, you know, years ago when Jason was a plumber, and yes, that's right. My husband was a plumber. And it's an interesting fact about him. He's not going to tell you, but he hates to be dirty. So it was an interesting job for a man that hates to be dirty. And uh, I remember when he was a plumber and we were early married and I was teaching school. And, you know, we had a call of God on our life. But, you know, you're in the early stages. You do what you got to do. That's just the way it was. And it's still the way it is. And uh, I'll never forget in a conference, much like what we have for Affecting Destiny here, um, there was like this moment, like this shifting moment, actually similar to this morning. And my mom, who is normally the change agent for dad's faith. Any other women out there know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, you just give little pushes and then the man's like, yeah, I just heard from God. Did you? Did you? That's awesome. But my mother is like that. My dad calls her the Holy Spirit because she definitely is. And I'll never forget, this was probably now over 20 years ago, 21 years ago or so. And, um, And my mom came up to my dad on the platform 
and I didn't know what she whispered. I found out later, but she basically whispered, you need to hire Jason. The Lord says hire Jason. Now, this is funny because my dad, you, he never says this, but he is tight. He will use a child for free as long as possible. He will never pay you, but he will not forsake you, but you will not get paid. And mom said, you have to pay him if he comes. And actually that was a huge turning point in Jason and I's life because at the time I was teaching school and swore I would never work with my father and mother. <laughs> and Jason was much, God probably went through him because he had a softer heart at that time. And, uh, and the Lord kind of connected that to that one time. And actually the next week, dad actually said it there. I think mom said it to him so he would publicly say it so he couldn't go back. <laughs> And uh, he said it, and, and there it was, and that was the beginning of, of our journey. And I'm so grateful to have not just my parents, but my grandparents, my great-grandparents. I have legacy. Man, there is something special about legacy. There's something special about standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. And, and so now I know, I understand that at a deeper place, particularly now that my children are getting older. But um, thanks for praying for uh, my salary structure here under what I've now just told you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. Lighten up. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, I'm excited about bringing the word to you today, believing that God's going to have something special for you. And if you're joining us from home today, this is your moment too, right? Amen. We're in it together, right? Whether you're in this building or you're sitting on your couch, we're in it together. We're believing you're a part of the gate church. And I'm excited about what God's doing. Are you ready to jump in on the word today? Now, I developed this sermon with like 14 different sermons. You ever use a title and use it like 14 different ways? I have. That's, that's the Amanda Connor way. Yeah, Samantha, she's traveled with me a lot. She hears a sermon and she's like, that wasn't the sermon, but that was the title. And I uh, totally used this title and I built something that I believe specifically that God wants to put into the gate church. You know, sometimes you make DNA deposits. Okay, all right, go over here. Sometimes you make DNA deposits. Sometimes you talk to folk and, it, and they're blessed. And I'm thankful for that. Those times are important. It's important that we get our joy and we're feeling good and we can go another week and we got our B12 shot. But I really feel to deposit into some of the DNA of the house. Is that okay? So that we don't just advance from week to week, but we start to have longevity. And so I'm going to use a title that's modern, and then I'm going to talk about some old school things. Because I don't care what, what I look like, I'm 41 years old, but I could tell you something, it's the old school foundational things that get you through. I don't care how many public sermons someone has and how many Facebook posts they put out and Instagram things they say. I don't care how many pictures of themselves they post or how many places they can go or how many food groups they can eat. I can't say. All I know is at the end of the day, I got to know the foundational things. I need to know that when I wake up, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I need to know that when every friend left, he's still the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I need to know that he's dependent when everybody around me, like Job said, you failed him and you messed up and you did this. I need to know he's still for me. Foundational things. So I called this sermon Grave Robbers. 
grave robbers. I want to talk to people who will become grave robbers. Now, if you know me, I love to watch some history channel. <laughs> I am such a dork. I love to watch all of the documentaries. And I got into this documentary last year where this sermon kind of came from and sparked in my heart. And it was about ancient tombs that had been raided and the robberies of these ancient tombs. And I was watching it, particularly in the Egyptians, and, and I was watching it, and as I was watching it, I was watching how they were talking about the letters that they had found from all of the people who had come to rob the graves in the Egypt, to the Egyptian kings primarily. And what some of these letters contained were, we came because we knew something valuable was hidden in the grave. And as I began to watch it, at first I was just fascinated with it. And then the Lord just struck my heart and said, Amanda, you're living in a world of graves. And I want to know, will you be willing to do what it takes to go find the valuable things in people again and bring them up out of the place God found you? Or will you sit in now your recovered place and point your finger of judgment and say, well, I hope you make it somehow? Or will you be willing to go where the stink is? And so this is how this sermon developed in me because I believe that God is on the move. Bishop said it so well today. My father spoke so well today because he said, it is time for an awakening. But how many of you know an awakening does not come without bearing responsibility for the awakening. God never brings something that his people will not care for. It is of no value for God to bring a thousand people to Christ today at the Gate Church if only five of us will go take care of them. Because God don't orphan people, people do. So whatever you believe God for, God has to illuminate a responsibility that comes with us. So that's what I want to talk about today, becoming a grave robber. Can you get there with me? Can you get there with me? Go to Exodus chapter 1. Lord, thank you for the privilege to speak your word clearly and accurately. Thank you for the privilege to declare your name that is great in the land. Thank you today for using my voice to communicate your thoughts. And you will and do get all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When you get to Exodus 1, would you stand up for, for the Lord with me? It's just uh, our way, our custom, nothing special. If you're at home and you're seated, nobody's coming down, bringing any lightning. I'm going to get there, guys. Y'all are going to laugh at me. It's going to happen. Okay. Oh, this. Okay. Thank you, Dad, for, thank you. Appreciate your armor bearing. You're doing a good job. I'm going to keep you. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And so they built for Ram the Pharaoh supply cities in Fitham and Ramses. 
Now the more they afflicted them, the more they what? Multiplied and grew. That's why we need to get over the affliction. We're going to keep going, right? And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made of the children of Israel to serve with vigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manners of service. And their service in which they made for them was very vigorous. And then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, let her live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the male children alive. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're lively and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied. I want to just take a minute, just the next few minutes, and talk to us about what it means first to fear God. Because we have a lost society on what it means to have the fear of the Lord. And I'm believing that this morning that God is going to deposit something into the DNA at 7700 Council Road that so ignites on the inside of us that we will begin to have the courage of the midwives once again to rise up to the pharaohs of our day. Amen? Do you believe that? If you believe it, tell someone you believe it and have a seat. Let's get started. The reason that I chose this scripture when talking about grave robbers is primarily because most of the time when you would hear someone talking about bringing someone out of a grave, the immediate moment that we go to is to talk about power, talk about the use of power, God's power. We see it when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. We see his word that is so concrete and so powerful that he sent his word into the tomb and what he said brought forth life. In other words, God's words always can turn death into life. That's proven through Lazarus' resurrection. But sometimes in the midst of that, particularly in our full gospel way, we tend to sometimes neglect the things that actually bring us to those power moments. We neglect them by allowing ourselves to believe that because we are gifted and anointed, we in some way operate in some distinction that is above of other people. But in honesty, if we're really honest, the Bible is very clear about the pattern in which sees people to operate in power. It is people first and foremost who understand the foundational things that bridge the gap between them and God. I chose this story because I believe that in the United States particularly, we are in a birthing. I believe we are in a birthing time. 
And I believe just in the same measure prophetically that a Pharaoh was in the land trying to separate the birthing that was to happen, the seed coming forth is the same thing that is happening in our day. There are Pharaohs, not one, and they are not people particularly. They are spirits that are trying to attack our nation and trying to attack us and cause us to forfeit what God is bringing forth in a birthing. And I believe that I chose this scripture because I wanted us to find out what it takes to actually stay course and birth the thing that God has declared holy even when everyone else around us has decided to give up on it. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says there were two women who preserved something because of one reason. They feared God. Now, the fear of the Lord is a word that you don't hear in modern culture. And we don't hear it in modern culture because most of us don't do it. And we don't hear it because at the bottom line is in the pulpits, preachers shouldn't be preaching what they themselves are not living. So therefore, they don't take on concepts that they are not submitted to themselves. They take on things that are so far from them that they can be spectators of something. They attended the basketball game. They weren't playing in it. So they were people who were able to experience the game, but they don't actually know what it was like to rub shoulders with anything and I think that the reason we don't take on some of these old school concepts is because we are the spectators of the basketball game instead of the players that God intended us to be we talk about the quarters and we talk about what happened but guess what we talk about what the commentators tell us and that's exactly what's happening in our culture today there is a set of commentators who are telling us what to think and who to pay attention to on the court instead of realizing that we are not the spectators of the game we are the players of the game we are supposed to be with the LeBron Jameses and the Michael Jordans and those that God has called at hand for such a time as this we are not to be people who come up with a concept through our television screen we are to be people who are on the ground doing it I just got done watching the last dance anybody watch the last dance with Michael Jordan anybody okay just three of y'all all right well, okay, documentaries are not y'all's thing. I just got done watching The Last Dance. And The Last Dance is an interesting, uh, it's the last season primarily of the Bulls. And, and he called it, uh, Phil Jackson, who, is the, who was the uh, coach, called his last season The Last Dance. And that's where it came from. And as I was watching it, I was stirred because, see, I realized something about Michael Jordan that I just didn't know. You know, I didn't grow up in that kind of like, you know, I'm not a male and I grew up in a football town. And so I didn't watch a lot of Michael Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> Sorry to admit that, but it's true. And so I was watching it and I was really intrigued because no matter what was going on in Michael Jordan's life, it was all about the court. Everything was about the court. Everything was about what was happening on the court. When Scottie Pippen wanted to have surgery, he didn't understand why he didn't wait because he should have been on the court. When this one was acting out, he didn't understand it because he should have been doing what he's supposed to do on the court. And this is what I figured out that I'm in agreement with, with the Michael Jordan concept. I am sick of Christians who are bailing out of the court. I am not looking 
for people who are doing the same thing that Scotty Pippen did in the middle of that, which was wait on his surgery until the playoffs came and then go and have surgery. I'm looking for people who would say, I don't care how difficult it is on me. I don't care how much it takes from me. I don't know what it costs me. I will not be a spectator of the game in which I have been brought to. I will put myself into the court with Jesus and believe that he is winning the game. And this is exactly what these women did. They were willing to get in the game. They were ordinary. They played the game in secret. Nobody gave them a prize. Nobody stood them up and awarded them. But they had one characteristic that must be restored to the body of Christ. They feared God. So let me talk about what it means to fear God. Fearing God is not to be afraid of him. I like what John Bevere says. It is actually to be afraid of being without him. I fear God because I so desperately don't want to live life without him that I do all I can to keep myself in alignment with him. I have found so often that most of our problems in the earth are wisdom problems. They are not power problems. They are not faith problems. They are wisdom problems. We post stupid things. We say dumb stuff. We let our emotions get the best of us. It's a wisdom issue. And when you look at wisdom, people would say, I don't understand why they don't have wisdom. Let me back it up for you. The book of Proverbs chapter 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So you're never going to operate in a God-like consciousness until you understand Him. Until you fear Him. Psalms 34 says of David, he said, come and let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Do you know what that shows us? That it is possible that you learn the fear of the Lord as much as you do coming into relationship with God. There are two ways the fear of the Lord are taught to you. One, it is taught through your personal relationship with God. Your all-like place of realizing how great and how big and how mighty the man of God you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all, the one who is with you when no one else is, when you realize the greatness and the wealth of who he is, you find an awe. You find a place that makes you know as the same way as Isaiah did and others who have said, I am not worthy of standing in your presence. So you find him first by finding God. But you secondly Learn the fear of the Lord through observation of others who fear God. Psalms 34 so proves that because David said, let me teach you how to fear God. And do you know what he talks about in Psalms 34? He talks about what it means to turn your attentions from your problems to him. He talks about what it means to put your eye in the place that God has his. He talks about what it means to be a seeker and not just a follower. He talks about what it means to be a person of purpose. Because here's what's happening in our culture. Whatever it is you fear is your God. Say, well, I don't even know where that's at. 
Genesis 31 is a great example. In Genesis 31, we have Jacob. Jacob's talking to Laban, and he says to him, he said, this will be done according to the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. Uh, it's interesting. He said, this is going to be done according to the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. It's one of the only places in scripture that we find the connection between what you fear is your God. And what Jacob was saying that day to his father-in-law was, I don't serve at my own discretion in the same way my father didn't serve at his discretion and in the same way his father didn't serve at his discretion. I serve according to the same ways I have seen manifested in my heritage. I serve out of my fear and that has turned itself into my God. I serve from the fear of Isaac. In other words, sometimes you don't have to have the revelation yet, but you better be near somebody who does. You won't always have that indication first. But when you walk with people who know what it means to fear God, you pick up something in the atmosphere of their life and it transfers onto your life because you become aware of something you weren't without their connection to it. In other words, I may not know sometimes why it is I need to show up on Sunday. See, listen, I know that I didn't live in certain days where we had seven-day-a-week church and my mom talks about the charismatic renewal and her and I have had major discussions discussions over what people used to do to serve and what they won't do today and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. And there are times that she frustrates the mess out of me because I'm just like, mom, we can't go back. We can't go back. And then the Lord spoke to me one day and he said, some of what your mother is saying is not trying to take you back. It's the fear of Kathy. And if you would catch the fear of Kathy, you'll catch what it is she's put as her God. And when you catch it, you're going to see that those things may not to matter to you, but they mattered to her, and they were the foundational things that set the pace of her life, and she by that place has chosen to put him first. These women were ordinary women who were willing to save a seed that became the very deliverer of Egypt. Had they not said yes, had they not got on the court, had they not been willing to step out, who knows when Moses would have come but because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh how many of us can say that we are being led out of the fear of the Lord rather than out of the fear of somebody else's opinion or the fear of what someone posts or the fear of losing our job or the fear of our family not accepting us or the fear of our friends rejecting us or the fear of someone making fun of us who can say let it all go astray let it all at the end of the day, I want to stand before the throne of God and say, I didn't get it all right, but one thing I know, I feared you above all. And because I feared you, I got courageous inside of me. I got bold about things that were ordinary. I went to my job with a different thinking. You don't know 
what your ordinary place can bring forth and save and bring deliverance to if you just put a little fear of God in it. You say, well, I don't know. Let me tell you why I know fear isn't, the fear of the Lord is not operating in our land like it should and among the body of Christ. It's because one of the fruits of, this, of the fear of the Lord is mutual submission. You won't submit to nobody. You won't trust anybody. You don't fear God yet. Because I've learned something. It's not possible to 100% submit to God and be unwilling to submit to a human. It's impossible. There is no reference for that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul is talking, and he's talking about relationships, he uses the context of marriages, but you could put any relationship in there. It's not just marriages. It's any covenant relationship. And you need to see that. We've got to see Scripture as its wholeness. Any covenant relationship, and he says, he says to husbands and wives, there's a reason he does this. He says to husbands and wives, submit to one another. And then this is what he says, out of reverence for God. Yeah. See, the fear of the Lord, when it's operating in your life, produces a reverent heart. Reverence is a preferring. It is a pulling in and viewing something better than yourself. So to revere someone is to make them greater than you in your eyes. And this is what the Bible says in Ephesians. He says to to all of those who are in covenant relationships, particularly marriages, he said it will be easy for you to get lost and taken advantage of one another. It will be easy for you to stop giving in to each other and having reverence for one another. But he said, if you want to know how to have kingdom covenant relationships, you got to keep the reverence of God as the centerpiece so that as a result, you will submit to one another and all he's asked you to do. See, if you reverence God, submission's a byproduct. Yes. The independent spirit in America is being confronted like never before. It's being confronted in two ways. Can I just talk about this for a minute? Is this all right? Y'all okay? I'm, 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 I'm going to get through it, but I just feel like i got to set some foundation. See, listen, you don't get to read this Bible as an independent spirit. You are not an American when you come to this book. You are a Christ follower. That's right. And there is a different set of rules in Christ than it is in America. Yes. See, in, in this book, atmospheres don't necessarily dictate what you become. How you were raised don't necessarily determine who you become. So uh, in this book, things that don't normally operate as concrete, water becomes concrete in this book. Elements change in this book. In this book, virgins have babies. Tell us, tell us. 
But what we like to do is we like to have a compartmentalized view of Christ. And we bring our Christian version of Christ in America to the book. And we start reading it in order for it to fulfill our need instead of us fulfilling his will. And as a result, we believe that submission is something for someone lower than us that needs it from the beginning. They're the weak Christians. They're the people who really need boundaries. If you're really living in grace, you don't need boundaries. Actually, when I read this book, actually, after you have a resurrection, it actually became more difficult, not easier. Grace meant I had to manage myself better. It meant that I had to live according to what he said, not just what I thought. I didn't get to come to some priest and just tell them what I did this year. I actually had to be accounted for what it was that was happening in my life. So stop coming to the book, trying to take us back to an old covenant, doing your own thing, believing that your independent heart can really get what this interdependent spirit releases. Only one kingdom matters, and it's the kingdom of the fear of the Lord and unless you fear him you'll never read this with a submitted place I do not care if Oklahoma City has us in their newspaper I'm not trying to figure out how many tweets we can get what I'm looking for personally and what I believe collectively is we are looking for a people who fear God at such a place that their courageousness shows up in their ordinariness. Their submission is evident to one another. Their purposefulness is straightforward and focused. They are not wavering to and fro because they know whose they are and they know who they are. And because of those things, they can say, I don't know what you're doing down the street, but there's prayer meeting tonight at my church. And I'm not going to take a number. I'm not going so someone can see me. I'm going because I fear God. And I need to know what he's saying about my life. The fear of the Lord does not show up in your supernatural. It shows up in your ordinary. I will not make excuses for God's place in my life. So if you want to be a grave robber, you have to walk in the fear of the Lord. Because listen, there are hurting, dying people. And they don't need more death language. If your voice doesn't carry resurrection power, at least stay quiet. Yes. I say this all the time to the team that I've led. I got no problem with you sitting in the boat and not rowing. I can handle that for a season. I don't know where you're at. It's okay. I can handle you sitting in my boat and not rowing. But you start rowing against me, I want you out in my boat. And I'm talking to the body of Christ today. I'm not talking to the ones who are wandering necessarily. I'm talking to the body of Christ. And I have come to say we have got to stop rowing against ourselves with our mouths. Because the fear of the Lord is so great in our ordinary that we refuse to embarrass him. I don't have to understand it. If I don't understand it, I keep my mouth shut. 
and I get to someone who I know has the fear of Isaac, the fear of Kathy, and I say, help me understand so that I walk in accordance to the word. Listen, I can't tell you the last time somebody phoned me just to find out what the Bible said about something. You know why? Because we keep coming to this book thinking we know it. I'm not saying that because I'm better. It's because of the gifting and calling on my life to the people of God. So if you don't take advantage of what God gave you as a gift, you never get the full stewardship of what that gift can bring. When was the last time somebody came up and said, hey, I've been reading in Exodus. I'm trying to figure out what this means. Help me understand. I get phone calls about how to make me get work for my kids, whether or not you believe in masks or not, whether or not you believe kids should go back to school or not, whether or not you believe it's okay that people write things on public property or not. But nobody, not one person has called me in this pandemic and said, I'm looking in one of these 66 books trying to find what God's saying to me, and I want help figuring this out. Help me to understand. Not one. You know why? Because we're going to the book with our ideas already solidified, trying to justify what is in there to make what we're doing work instead of going to the book with open eyes, a submitted heart, and the fear of the Lord saying, I don't know what they're doing, but I know what I'm doing. I'm seeking this until I get a word. And when I get a word, then I'll publicize. I'm not going to publicize my opinion. I'm not going to publicize my idea. I'm going to wait until the word tarries in me, and then I will give it to someone else. It brings me to point number two. Y'all okay? Yes. I realize, I realize I'm running out of time and I've, I've, I've gotten, I told y'all it was going to be difficult today. But you know, my dad, he does this so well. He always says, smile when you say difficult things. <laughs> I will say this. My dad's very rarely, him and I have been in a few places that I've gotten to preach and him and I together recently, but I, um, it's good to have my dad listening to me at the gate church. That's nice. Now I hope you're getting something, dad. If anything, fear Kathy. <laughs> if anything. It brings me to point number two. Go, to, go with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. It's so intriguing to me. My father and I, and we did not talk about what we were going to say today or what I was doing. But I, I think I'm about to bring some stuff that he did today back around because I think there's a theme that God's trying to give to us. My mom tapped into it by saying that there was a breaking, there's something coming. And I just believe that, particularly out of this next point, out of Ezekiel 37. It's very familiar scripture, very familiar scripture. Just go there with me if you don't mind. Ezekiel 37. I'd like to just set it up for you a little bit if I can and uh, bring it around for you. You guys Okay. Everybody doing all right. Grave robbers carry a different spirit about them. There's something different. See, what's going to make what's going to make an impact in our culture today is not different as in outwardly different. There's a lot of people that are structuring their churches, they're structuring their programs, they're structuring their life just to be different because they believe that the different automatically means acceptance. It automatically means that in some way we're relevant. But I figured out different has a different connotation in Scripture. Actually, what it means to be different is quite, uh, actually, it's, it's quite amazing. So let's look in Ezekiel 37, starting at verse 1. 
The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in an open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, only you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and then they shall know I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and there was a noise. There was a rattling, and there were bones that came together, bone upon bone. And as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came, and the skin covered them, and there were no breath in them yet. And he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they exceedingly stood on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They are indeed dry and their hope is lost. We are ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say, behold, oh my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. If I was going to put point number two, I have two things I'd like to say. One, point number two is, is we have to partner with God. But let me tell you how I expect us and believe that God means for us to partner with him. I believe that he means for us to partner with him prophetically. Now, this is another word that we tend to sometimes we do not buy into. We have a difficult time understanding. And most of the time, it's because honestly, in the body of Christ, we've become lazy. We've allowed prophets come into the house. They give prophetic words to people, and that brings some kind of sense of hope. And then people leave only tarrying with that word until their next word comes or the fulfillment of that word. And here's my problem with that. Corinthians chapter 14 gives us a great indication of a church that was very gifted. That church was gifted in so many ways. Everybody that came would have thought they were the hot snot of the city. They could operate in every gift imaginable. But one thing they were constantly doing is they were using their gift without responsibility. They were constantly using their gift, but no one could understand what they were doing. They were all moving, but they weren't making any any progress. And in chapter 14 of Corinthians, this is what Paul shows up on the scene and says, he says, listen guys, it's great that you can speak in other tongues, but it values no one if it carries no interpretation. He said, instead, I would hope and pray for all of you that you would have the ability to prophesy. This is what I believe that means. Prophecy has been reduced today to a prophetic word for a prophetic night given by a prophet to a person or someone who operates in the prophetic. But that is not the context of the scripture or the context of prophecy in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God expected ordinary people to get prophetic insight over the will of God in the area of their appointment. 
So when he says to them in Corinthians, he said, you are running around here using your giftings and letting it show you off because it's feeding you, but it's not helping the body of Christ. What I pray for you is, is that you learn to get a prophetic voice inside of you again. I hear a lot of voices, but I have not heard many prophetic ones because prophetic voices are always pointing us in the direction of the will of God and what he is doing in the earth. And this is what Paul, and I believe at the beginning of Ezekiel 37, that God is trying to give to his people. He says that Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I'm sitting you down in the midst of hopelessness. I'm sitting you down in the midst of people who can't get up on their own. They are lost. They are wandering. They don't know what to do. They have lost everything, and they are dry. But here's what I'm telling you. Prophesy to them. Now listen to me. There's a lot of people who are willing to go to the dry bones, but when they get there, they ain't got nothing to say. Because the Bible further says, don't just prophesy, hear the word of the Lord. In other words, whenever God shows up to you, someone, whenever he wants to bring someone into a further expression, he wants to use you to bring hopelessness and change the narrative of people's lives. He isn't looking for you to go take one of your gifts on display on your own. He's looking for you to partner with his word from the prophetic voice you have already picked up on. Say, I I don't know how to prophesy to myself. You're supposed to. God is not withholding his insights from you. If you're not hearing it, I would dare say you're not listening. Because God doesn't come into relationship with someone and then leave them isolated from it. If God redeemed you, he called you by name. He's brought you into an arena of opportunity you could never have had on your own. So your ability to prophesy to your environment is completely within you. The only reason that you most likely are not doing it is because of the culture that we have allowed to become created in the 21st century church, which is I will wait for some prophetic person that I believe in to show up to me and tell me all the things I need to know, and then I'll go pray over them, and then I'll try to make those things happen, and when those prophetic things happen, I will know he is God. That's the opposite of what God's intention was in the body of Christ and in relationship with you that is a lower office than what he ever intended he wants your voice to be the prophetic voice to you first my example for that is John the Baptist John the Baptist when they tried to put all kinds of titles on him tell him who he was tell him are you this one are you that one did you come for this did you come for that he said listen I am a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Listen, some of the reason there's not a straight path to Jesus is because we are not declaring 
the prophetic voice that God's given to us. It's not because there isn't a straight path. It's because our words are clouding the straight path with the negativities that come from our prophesying instead of the things in which are growing and encouraging people. God does not give you prophecies that are going to tear down the body of Christ. God gives us prophecies that are going to speak into the dry places in our lives, the people that are around us, so that we can see the goodness of God come forth. He said to Ezekiel, I don't need you to go put bone upon bone. I don't need you to pick anything up off the ground. I don't need you to try to figure out with the diagram where things go. I don't need you to read one of the 66 books of the Bible. What I need to know is, are you willing to partner with me so that your ear can hear me so that when I sit you in the middle of dysfunction, you can say something that makes a difference to the dysfunction you're sitting in. That's the question for the body of Christ today. Can he sit us in the dysfunctional place and our words carry something do they say something he said speak to them and as he spoke the word of the Lord the Bible says that bones began to come back upon bone and things that were not together began to be put back together but this is the other part of this scripture that no one likes to lean into it doesn't just say he restored the bone structure the Bible says that his words his prophetic insight his ability to speak into the prophetic things of the atmosphere over the place he had been set began to not only put strength structure back in place, the bone structure, but it caused sinews to come back. Now this is interesting because sinews represent connectivity, a place of connection, a place where joints were connected, a place where movement happens. So what he was saying to us and what I believe he was saying in Ezekiel 37 was don't just get used to prophesying so that you get your ducks in a row again. Prophesy so that when you speak, structures come back, but relationships get restored. Every joint supplies. The Bible says every joint supplies. So what he was saying to him is, when I sit you in the midst of dysfunction and I begin to speak through you, I'm not interested in you just putting pieces back together through anatomy. I'm interested in your words being able to talk in relationship with someone else who was broken down. I want you to bring movement back to their life where they have not allowed relationships to be restored. I want you to speak to the sin use. I want you to speak to the fatness on their life, which talks about the giftings and the anointing. I want you to talk to them about who they are in Christ and who God made them to be and who it is they can become if they put their hope in Jesus. Don't leave them just in a structure. Bring them into the full reality of how God uses them. Restore their relationships, restore their anointing. And then he said, I'm going to do it and wrap them in flesh. In other words, I I don't need you to be anything other than who you already are. Ashley, you could come. I'm rounding my corner. So when we talk about prophecy, it is so important that we get off the bandwagon of needing another prophetic word. It is not because I don't have huge amounts of buy-in to prophets. I do. God uses me prophetically. 
But the last thing a prophet should be doing is giving you the only fresh word you're getting. Because that is called lazy Christians. Where we don't push to hear what God's saying so that we can restore all manner back to people. Something interesting, and I just want to parallel it, and we're going to sing, and we're going to shout, and we're going to believe God, because I believe we're supposed to just do something prophetically. Something interesting about Ezekiel 37 I had never seen in the word prophesy before. And actually, the word prophesy there has two meanings, and we don't have an indication of which one particularly would have applied, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to the second for the sake of conversation. One meaning was to speak and to declare. The second meaning was to sing prophetic realities. To sing prophetic realities. Now, we don't know at the time of transcription between all of the hands, we know the words there. We don't know which one God told Ezekiel to do. But I'm going to lean into a moment just for the sake of conversation to say that sometimes, now times, right now in the body of Christ, we don't just need to speak to the bones. We don't need to just speak to this dysfunction. We got to get a song. It is possible that God was telling Ezekiel to sing the word. Say, well, where and how do you make that connection? Well, let me, just, let me just bring us back somewhere. And Bishop touched on it so briefly today. In the book of Psalms, there's a set of Psalms, Psalms 121 to 134, called the Songs of Ascent. These songs would have been basically poems that had been given a tune. And over the course of, of, a, of a life of an Israelite, as they headed up to Jerusalem for their feasts, as they journeyed and as they went forward, they would have to walk through rough terrain. I've been to Israel. It's very rough terrain in certain areas. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That had been a place they'd had to walk through. It's very narrow, huge cliffs on either side. It could be very rough terrain. But Jerusalem's on a hill, so it's set high. So all the people, for the most part, would have to climb uphill. That's why it's called the Songs of Ascent. Because they would sing these poems, these prophetic realities, as they journeyed to Jerusalem. And the Lord just brought to my remembrance here recently about how important it is to keep your song in the uphill journey. See, this is what I have learned. In my uphill journey, I don't always have a new song. But I do have a song that someone else has been where I'm at. And the Psalms of the Songs of Ascent were not songs that these people wrote on that journey. They were songs that someone else wrote on that journey before them. Someone who had climbed the hill and they were still singing this song.
Someone who had come across that valley and they still were singing that song. Someone who made it through that terrain and they were still singing that song. Now I know I'm going to mess up the cameras, but I guess I could do it right here. So here is my point. My point is one of those songs is in Psalm 121. It is the psalm that we often quote that says we look with our eyes to the hill where our help comes from. Now these songs would have been songs that they would have sang, and as they sang them, the closer they would get to their place in Jerusalem. And the more they sang them, the more prophetic reality became a part of their language, of who they were, and of the words that they spoke. See, some people think we come to church to sing songs to bless you. We sing in songs so that we can speak the prophetic realities of God over the atmosphere in which we have been called to. So what I'm trying to say is, in Ezekiel, the word of the Lord was, sing to something that's dying what you know to be prophetically true. In other words, speak the word of the Lord. And as you speak it, I will cause dead things to come back to life. God is not going to resurrect the dead things of our culture on a new system. He is not trying to figure out how to get a better program. He is not trying to figure out how we're supposed to work with the government. He's saying if you get a prophetic song and you will get a word in your mouth, I will begin to use your word that as you say, I am one who has been where you're at and God has seen me through. He is still the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. My help comes from the Lord. He is the end and the beginning. The great I am over my life. See, my song begins to make way for somebody past me. And I'm wondering who in the building has a song in their heart that as other people are on the uphill climb, they can refer back to your song. See, I know there's some people who are down and out in Oklahoma City. I don't need something clever. I need a song. I can look at them and say, oh, I have been where you are. I know what it means to feel broken. I know what it means to feel distraught. I know what it means to feel hurt. But oh, how the Lord has seen me through. How he's brought me past this place and put me on top of the water. He never let me drown. He brought me over. Your song begins to sing over the dry bones. You begin to sing the prophetic realities over dry bones. That's why I asked Ashley today, sing living proof. Because I want us to declare we are the living proof of Jesus. That no matter what you're facing, no matter how down you feel, my song is God brought me out. And he's bringing you out too. Oh, hallelujah. Where's the psalmist? Where's the songwriters in the house today who are pulling people out of the grave with a word of the Lord? God is on the 
Free. 
permission to, to say this. I ask permission. But I feel faith in the room. Now, I don't know. It may be 10 of you. might be 15. might be 20. might be 100. But on Friday night at 8 o'clock, we're meeting in this room. And we're about to let our faith rise. We're not coming for a show, and it's not another meeting. This is about praying and about singing the song of heaven over our city. And if you want in, you need to get here on Friday at 8 o'clock. This is not about trying to promote something. If you don't come, we're going to sing anyway. But if you do come, I believe that God is going to connect your voice. And as he connects your voice to your voice and your voice to your voice, I'm telling you the dry bones of Oklahoma City are coming back to life. Because we are walking, all talking, we're living proof. that you are using and as they sing a song and they declare with their voice God you are about to bring bones back into their place connections that have been lost are about to be restored gifts that were not awakened are about to be awakened you're doing something at the gate church in Oklahoma City so we bless them we thank you that the favor of God rests upon them that this week they will go and do mighty things in their ordinary in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.